Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Well, good morning. It is a great Monday morning to be with you and to continue to talk about truth and the biblical perspective in all things, including culture and our civil society. And speaking of culture, as we've continued to talk about the uh, Anheuser-Busch situation and, of course, uh, Dylan Mulvaney, who is the trans activist that has become the face of so many different products because, you know, he couldn't hack it as an actor on his own merit. So now he has to become this caricature of a woman and of a little girl, actually. I mean, it's worse than even a woman, a grown man is trying to pretend that he can be a woman. And uh, that has received significant backlash, which is a great thing, actually, for conservatives and for Christians. Um, I have been saying I wish that I drank beer just so that I could not buy uh, Bud Light and I could actually effectuate that that particular outcome and, and be of help there. But Alas, we can at least talk about it and encourage uh, those who do partake to uh, to respectfully decline Bud Light. Um, but one of the top headlines this morning is that an LGBTQ activist group is asking Anheuser-Busch to further support the trans community. So they're saying uh, th- this didn't even go far enough and we didn't learn our lesson at all. Uh, but Anheuser-Busch has dug itself into a deep hole after playing politics with its beer, according to Town Hall. Uh, they say since significant backlash stormed the company for partnering with transgender social media influencer Dylan Mulvaney, Bud Light has faced a downward spiral of issues, including a drastic drop in sales. Now, the trans community is coming for the company, pressuring it to double down on supporting transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney. In a letter addressed to the head of Anheuser-Busch's Human Resources Department, Senior Vice President at the Human Rights Campaign, remember our very woke uh, friends over there, uh, Jay Brown, demanded that Anheuser-Busch not stop catering to the LGBTQ community. So Anheuser-Busch has declined uh, several meeting requests from the HRC in the wake of the pushback over its partnership with Mulvaney, according to an individual with knowledge of the situation, according to Town Hall. Uh, Anheuser-Busch did not immediately respond to um, Town Hall or the Hill's comment for request. The letter also recommends that Anheuser-Busch meet with its LGBTQ employees to discuss and, quote, understand their concerns, unquote, and conduct workplace transgender inclusion training for company executives. So not only has this company gone so far to the left trying to meet their quota for this uh, diversity index score so that they can be even more woke, and as we've talked on the show, I really, really want to know, what is the incentive here? Why do companies who are capitalist and who should be caring about their shareholders, they should be caring about their consumers, and ultimately, in a capitalist society, they should be caring about their bottom line. 
why do they care so much about this index score from the human rights campaign? Well, now that the HRC is concerned that Anheuser-Busch is backing off of this and not going to such extreme lengths to support their LGBTQ diversity inclusion scoring, now the HRC senior vice president is contacting them and wanting a sit down. What does this company or this human rights campaign, what does this organization have over these companies in America that are widely successful, should be caring about their bottom line? What is it about this? So we're going to get to the bottom of this. At some point, I'm going to, to get on the radio with you in the morning and say, we figured it out. This is what it is. And and our good friend, James Lindsay, uh, who, of course, is with New Discourses and has been uh, decrying the whole uh, CRT phenomenon and the whole woke agenda for years now. Um, this is something that he and I talk about actually regularly, and he's trying to get to the bottom of this as well. But it's it, it's amazing to see that because conservatives are so concerned about this and we have collectively raised our voices and those of us you know like me who doesn't drink beer can't participate in this particular uh, not buying of the product because I wasn't buying it previously um, we can still talk about it and we can still raise our voices and say let's let's not participate in that because we have alternatives and we're also consumers with decisions here in America. And because that has been so successful, now the human rights campaign is encouraging and it sounds like pressuring Anheuser-Busch to continue their woke agenda. And there is probably significant pressure to say, if you don't continue this, you're not going to get that perfect score and who knows what other types of problems then this company is looking at because of whatever the incentive is from the HRC. So I just think it's it's a really fascinating phenomenon. Um, and this whole issue is going to continue to come to light uh, why the human rights campaign has such a hold over companies in America. So, um, So on one hand, this is really good that we as conservatives are shining a light into this, we are saying, no, this is a woke bridge too far. We are not going to participate in this. And we are going to call national attention to how ridiculous uh, this whole woke agenda is to put a dude in a dress that's pretending he's a little girl onto the face of consumer products. And, you know, what's interesting about this too, because I was talking um, on my podcast, which you can find at thejennaellisshow.com a couple of weeks ago when this first broke, I was talking to a good friend of mine. His name is Seth Weathers, and he's a conservative influencer and, um, and a father of two little girls. And, um, you know, he's one of those kind of all American guys. And he was saying, you know, he, he um, isn't participating in this now. And so he's actually, he ran a, an alternative ad for uh, like a patriotic um, beer company. And, and it was great. And it got a lot of national attention. And as we were talking about this um, on my podcast, and you can find that episode, um, it was really interesting what he was saying as far as how, you know, product placement has become such a phenomenon in America. And we're all used to this in terms of entertainment. Like if you're watching a movie or you're watching a TV show and, um, you know, the main character drives into their parking lot and it zooms in on 
on the make and model of the car. Well, that's advertising and it's very passive and we're not even watching it thinking it's a commercial in the break. It's just product placement that we see that. And if we happen to like that character, like the show, we go, oh, wow, that looks like a cool car. And it's it plays very subconsciously into our decision making as consumers. And product placement is a huge thing. I mean, we've seen that even in other industries, like, for example, politics. Um, President Trump has been one of the best marketers of some of this stuff with uh, product placement like red hats, right? Like, I mean, everybody knows that visual of the MAGA hat and the Make America Great Again. I mean, and that has become a symbol, not even just a product. Well, so for, for beer cans like this Bud Light transgender label, it, it becomes even more insidious because not only are you are you seeing this product placement, but it's not even just on your television or at an event that you attend. Like if you go to a sporting game, for example, and you have all the advertisements on your cups and you, you know, sit there and you're kind of overwhelmed and inundated by advertisers. But this is now actually something that on the face of the beer can, you are bringing into your own home. So it's product placement for your children. And this is why things like this matter. And and so not only is it a cultural concern and it's a concern for how the human rights campaign has a hold on um, these companies and these corporations in America. And we now have, you know, kind of this pull into the woke ideology that somehow is more valuable than the consumer uh, bottom line and the company's bottom line. But we now actually have a culture that is product placing for our children in our own homes. And this to me was why this particular campaign for Bud Light was even worse than some of the other types of product placements. Because if you buy that particular product and you bring it into your home, it's not just a, a television screen that you can turn off. It's not just, you know, an event that you don't bring your kids to. It's something that's literally sitting in your refrigerator. So it it matters and things like this matter. Um, But we also have to make sure on the flip side that we as especially Christians and conservatives are not so immediately you know, triggered has become kind of the key word, but I mean, it's fine to be triggered. Something should trigger us so that we're like, no, that's that's a bridge too far. And we're going to respond in the right, appropriate, biblical, conservative manner. But we have to make sure that we are not so distraught by literally everything in this culture that we end up having kind of this outrage fatigue and this immediate response that we need to be outraged about everything all the time. Because there was another company, and um, for those of you with young girls, you're probably familiar with Mattel and the Barbie company. They last week, um, and and I had Barbies for a little bit growing up. I was more of an American girl uh, doll girl. And for those of you who um, who have girls who are either in you know high school, college, or um, the American Girl Company, I, the historical dolls were just amazing. And and those of you, um, I know that there are people out there right now like totally fangirling over American Girl dolls. I was one of them, and I loved the historical stories and um, all of the accessories, all of that. So I was mainly American Girls, but for a little bit, um, also had some Barbies. And Mattel uh, made this um, first ever Barbie doll that represented a person 
with Down syndrome. So this is a um, this is a, a girl's a little girl's doll with Down syndrome. And um, Stephen Crowder, who is a um, you know right wing kind of media personality, I wouldn't personally say is a Christian influencer um, by any means. He kind of went off on his show um, and talking about how you know why do we have to have all this diversity and was condemning Mattel for this Barbie doll representing a person with Down syndrome. And Matt Walsh, who um, I follow and I just I really adore um, over at Daily Wire, he had this to say, which I actually thought was the best response. He said, Mattel has revealed its first ever Barbie doll representing a person with Down syndrome. They collaborated with the National Down Syndrome Society to create a doll and ensure that the design accurately represents a person with Down's syndrome. In addition to portraying some of the physical characteristics of a person with Down syndrome, the Barbie's clothing and accessories carry a special meaning. The blue and yellow butterfly dress represents the symbols and colors associated with Down syndrome awareness. The doll also wears ankle foot orthotics, which some children with Down syndrome use. And he says, now I've been working um, with, or I've seen rather, some conservatives making fun of this, calling it woke as though it's just another woke inclusive PC thing. And I'll admit that when I first saw this headline, my first instinct was to roll my eyes because I saw the term inclusive Barbie doll and 99.9% of the time that's going to be something stupid. But then there is the 0.1% of the time when it's actually something good and this is that 1%. No matter the source of the thing, we need to be able to practice discernment and we should have it here. People, especially children with Down syndrome, really do need some of these inclusivity campaigns because they are being excluded from society in the most violent and bloody ways. They're being exterminated by the abortion industry. That's the big reason why they run tests for Down syndrome in utero. They give the parents the option to kill their child if they don't want to have a child with Down syndrome. And tragically, many parents do. So if we're doing anything as a society, I would say including Down syndrome children, humanizing them and representing them is good. It's actually pro-life. This is probably, he goes on to say, unintentionally a pro-life move by Mattel. But we should be going out of our way to say, in this case, this is a good thing. I agree with Matt Walsh here, and we do need to have discernment as Christians and as conservatives to not just automatically say, oh, inclusion is wrong or diversity is wrong because those are kind of these woke trigger words. We need to actually analyze each and every situation and say, is this a good thing? Maybe unintentionally. And we need to make sure that we're always looking at this from a biblical worldview. We'll be right back with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. You get the soil ready. You put the seeds in and then you water it. How do you plant a garden? I don't know. You pray that God will give you a good harvest. Then you have to work it to get all the weeds away. And then God brings the plants. Planting a garden takes planning, hard work, and God's blessing. So does creating a lasting legacy for the people and charities that mean the most to you. The AFA Foundation is here to help you sow the financial seeds God has blessed you with in order for them to blossom for generations to come. We do this by offering free consultation and assistance in the areas of charitable gift annuities, estate planning, will and trust planning, and bequests. To learn more, call 800-326-4543, extension 345, 800 326 
888-4543, extension 345, or visit afafoundation.net. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Admiral Christopher Grady, Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He is the second highest ranking officer in the United States Armed Forces and assists the chairman with his performance of duties. Psalm 82.4 reminds us of the importance of defending our nation. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Right now with this in mind, would you pray with me? Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Admiral Grady as he works to keep our country safe. We ask this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Dylan Mulvaney, the transgender activist and celebrity endorser, is not very happy with folks like me, journalists who continue to refer to Mr. Mulvaney as a man. Mulvaney says any reporter who misgenders him should be arrested and thrown in jail. And he's especially triggered by people who call him a man. Well, that's because he's a man, man. Mulvaney is generating national outrage over his mockery of womanhood. He's on a quest to celebrate 365 days of publicly identifying as a woman. But he's also generating lots of cash as a celebrity endorser for brands like Budweiser and Maybelline. So here's the bottom line. God made male and female. Your sex and gender are not interchangeable. As for being a criminal, can we talk about Dylan Mulvaney's wardrobe? A grown man in a pink dress and high heels? Yeah, somebody ought to call the fashion police. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And one of the other things that happened last week in my former now home state of Colorado. uh, And, you know, it's going to be amazing that for the first time in my life, I am actually changing my voter registration, driver's license, residency, everything. So moving away from the Democrat leftist control Colorado. And um, it just is becoming more and more insane there and in other. um, There were actually states that were previously red and are now purple trending blue. And if you missed my uh, my interview with Jeff Hunt, um, the head of the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University, talking about Colorado and um, how you know Democrats have specifically targeted um, certain states to try to flip them blue. And Colorado is one of those examples of how they've been largely successful. Unfortunately, you can go back to our podcast of this show at AFR.net and listen to that episode from last Friday, or actually two Fridays ago, sorry. Um, last Friday, we had Mark Levin on. Great conversation. Really appreciate everyone's uh, feedback on that, the Convention of States Project, um, all of those things. So two Fridays ago, you can go back, listen to Jeff Hunt. Um, but Colorado 
is becoming even more and more insane in terms of foreclosing and infringing upon our constitutionally protected rights, specifically our right to keep and bear arms. And of course, the Second Amendment is in our Bill of Rights just as a redundancy protection. Even without the Second Amendment, we the people would still have every right that God our Creator endows upon us, and the government cannot infringe upon that arbitrarily at whim or uh, or infringe upon that in a way that violates our ability to exercise our rights. But of course, Colorado doesn't care much about any of that. And uh, Jared Polis, who is the Colorado Democrat governor, last week signed four major gun control bills, raises the age requirements and tightens red flag laws. So I hope that these will be challenged in court. And in fact, they already are through uh, the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners Association of Colorado. And their executive director, my good friend Taylor Rhodes, joins me now to talk about this. Um, So Taylor, first of all, um, for those who aren't familiar with uh, these four major gun control bills, um, walk us through what what this is actually doing to gun owners in Colorado and why um, this is so dangerous. Right. So just uh, just last week, Governor Polis signed these bills, as you mentioned. One of the things I want to point out before we go further, two of the bills we, we had immediate standing on. So we knew that we wanted to sue from the very beginning. That's the promise we made to our members here. And I don't even think the ink was dry on the paper uh, before we had law- lawsuits filed. So we filed awesome. pretty much immediately against uh, against waiting periods. And now the interesting thing about the waiting period bill here in Colorado is in California, they have a 10-day waiting period. Uh, there's a handful of other states that have waiting periods as well. In Colorado, it's uniquely terrible uh, because it is a minimum of a three-day waiting period. Now, we've seen the ATF on the federal side of things just come up with new rules out of thin air. And essentially, they've given the legislature has given CBI, our background check authority here in Colorado, that same uh, authority to say, okay, it's a minimum of three days. So it could be a five-day, six-day, 10-day, 21-day, 36-day, you know, you name it, whatever arbitrary number that they come up with. So we sued on that immediately. In addition, we've sued on the minimum age requirements to purchase a firearm. They, uh, and federal law says that you have to be 21 to purchase a handgun which, frankly, probably isn't consistent with text history and tradition of, our, of, our, of the Second Amendment. However, uh, and for many states, it's been, uh, it's been 18 to purchase long guns, such as hunting rifles, shotguns, uh, things of that nature. Uh, we sued over that. That's already been overturned by several federal judges uh, around the country. We, we think both of these, frankly, are fairly slam-dunk lawsuits. Uh, that we're that we're working on now there's two others that well they have, should be and these are yeah they should be they should be um so there's two others that we didn't sue on immediately and frankly it's because we don't have standing just yet we need someone to be negatively affected unfortunately so the first one i'll talk about is is what they call gun violence victim ass- access to uh, the judicial system really what this is is this is the ability to sue gun manufacturers and gun stores. So let me give you this example of how heinous this bill is. If, if you go out and purchase a roll pen, this is the smallest portion of an AR-15. That roll pen ends up in an AR that 
happens in a gun crime. The victim of that gun crime could not only sue the seller of that roll pin, but the manufacturer of that roll pin, if it could be traced back to that AR. In addition, if I went to Walmart, I duct taped a flashlight to the end of uh, AR, let's just call it, because that's what most people think of when they think of gun crimes. So let's just put, let's call it an AR. You duct tape it to the end. Not only could the victim sell or sue the, the all the AR components, they could sell sue the uh, manufacturer of the duct tape, the flashlight, the battery in the flashlight, the light bulb in the flashlight, all of the above. And probably the worst part of this bill is if, you know, let's say you or, you or I are the victim of a gun crime here in Colorado. We're probably not going to sue, right? We're, we're good, honest, you know, gun-loving Americans. The state attorney general could step in and sue on our behalf without our consent. Um, so it just takes that a step further because ultimately when you when I'm talking through these bills, you'll see a, a pattern that here in Colorado, they, they don't want guns. They want guns completely eradicated. And, and we've seen that with bills such as the assault weapons ban that we were luckily able to kill uh, because such a high outcrying of support uh, in opposition of that. Now, the last bill is you know, we've seen this wave of, of red flag gun confiscation going around the country, um, frankly, since Republicans uh, were endorsing it. Republicans in the NRA started endorsing this back in 2018. And um, it, it's been a, a horrible thing for gun owners. And not only now, you know, can ex-disgruntled spouses uh, red flag you, but now uh, your, your primary care physician and ER nurse, um, you could go in for a uh, mental health therapy. That mental health therapist uh, could red flag you, which we're hearing tons of, of opposition from this from, like, military members because now they're having to choose whether to get their PTSD treated or whether they're going to be able to keep their gun rights. But most, uh, most egregious is now your child's teacher can red flag you. Uh, so if you, you know, get upset in a, in a parent-teacher meeting, uh, or you're speaking out in front of the school board. I mean, we saw what happened in Virginia when when school board when parents that were showing up to school board meetings were labeled as terrorists. I mean, these are some of the first people that are going to be red flagged, um, and we know that these things are, uh, are are often used not to just take the guns out of mentally unstable people people's hands, but these are used as malicious uh, weapons uh, to 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 harm gun owners. Wow. Well, Taylor Rhodes, um, I really appreciate that whole overview. And I think for um, for most of us who are listening to this, this went even further than uh, what we were aware of. And um, and I have a lot of questions. So, you know, so first, um, you know, going back to the um, the initial uh, bill that you're already suing on, which is this three day waiting period. Um, that too, a lot of people was just was just the three days. But what you're saying is that it doesn't have at all an upper cap or an upper threshold. I mean, this could be something where someone is just indefinitely um, not able to buy a gun because of a waiting period. That's correct. So, and and they they made mention of like back during COVID. So if if you're a Colorado and you've ever tried to buy a gun during uh, during 2020 2021. I mean, they were there were waiting periods. I had a gun that was on a waiting period for 21 days, and this wasn't we didn't even have uh, you know a waiting period installed. They just didn't have enough agents to run the background checks. 
Uh, so, you know, something, you know, small that, you know, three or four people call out sick or, you know, the, the, they decide that, you know, they're not going to open their background check system for, you know, a couple days. In theory, they could delay you as long as they wanted to uh, with, with no repercussions. Wow. And that absolutely needs to um, be overturned. And I'm grateful that you're challenging that as well as um, the age restriction. And um, for those who, uh, and probably most of our AFR uh, family is familiar with the concept of standing just because of uh, the 2020 election and this whole idea that you have to have um, a, a harm incurred as part of um, the initial threshold question as to whether uh, you can sue. So when we're talking about you know these other two bills um, that include the um, you know, suing of, of manufacturers and um, any of these parts, and then um, you know also this red flag law, obviously someone would have to incur that harm, and you'd have to go through the elements of standing. But as you were describing, Taylor, this um, you know this this third bill that was. Um, the modifications to a firearm that then if that's used in a commission of a crime, you could, I mean, you could bootstrap it. It's reminding me of all of these memes where people were saying, oh, here's all of the modifications. And it was literally super ridiculous stuff. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I could, I could put a, you know, could duct tape a stuffed animal onto an AR and then somehow, you know, sue Mattel or sue this company because that, that, and that certainly wasn't intended to be part of a firearm, like a flashlight wouldn't or duct tape or some of these things. I mean, this is just beyond absurd. And it appears very obviously that Colorado is just trying on purpose to in any way, shape or form, have everyone so fearful of the lawfare that they're just going to say, okay, we we don't want to deal with guns in the state, period. Right. And that's exactly what they're doing. And I mean, I am I'm not just a gun lobbyist. I'm a gun guy. I'm at the range all the time, probably more than I should be. Uh, But when we're hearing from from gun dealers that they're like, you know, it's it's actually going to negatively affect what the Democrats are trying to do, because many of them are saying, well, you know, yeah, of course, I'm going to have to, you know, process the 4473 that's the background check when i uh do the do the firearm purchase but everything else we're going to sell in cash uh because we don't want it traced back to our store and you know that's doing exactly the opposite and this is again big government failing um to to you know make good on the promises that they're that they're giving us i mean one of the things that i've been pointing out over the last 10 years you know the democrats have really sold us a bill of goods They've passed, I think it's like now it's 27 anti-gun laws, you know, as small as, you know, changing, you know, one statute from a misdemeanor to a felony where they, you know, an individual couldn't purchase a gun uh, to, uh, you know, red flag gun confiscation or, you know, three-day waiting periods. It, It ranges, right? So they've sold us this bill of goods that, you know, all of these laws are going to protect us. It's going to stop crime. It's going to reduce suicide. Well, in reality, that's not the case. Crime rates have gone through the roof here in Colorado. Colorado is one of the most dangerous states to live in today. Suicide rates have gone through the roof. Uh, we're, we're not addressing the things that actually need to be addressed here in Colorado. You know, for some of the things that we could actually do to make, you know, uh, make changes in, in, in the way that our our society is looking at not only guns, but just, you know, value of human life. I mean, one of the things that's almost always consistent in 
in what's what's just called the common shooter, right? The the mentally disturbed shooter that goes and causes a catastrophic harm almost always comes from a fatherless, broken home. We have to have fathers back in the home. And this is this is attributed to the welfare society. People are incentivized uh, to not not have a have a um, complete home. The second thing is we have kids that are completely overly medicated most of the time on you know some kind of stabilizing drug whether that be an antidepressant whether that be you know a uh, ADHD medication um, something of that form and they're and they're started at a very young age we've got to get our kids off these meds uh, and the third is is removing gun-free zones gun-free zones uh, dr. John Watt thinks that about 96 percent of mass shootings happen happen in gun-free zones. I've done some research additionally. I think it's actually a little bit lower. It's closer to 92, uh, but we're still over 90% of um, of mass shootings are happening in so-called gun-free zones because criminals know that they can go into these places that are gun-free zones, such as churches, malls, movie theaters, uh, and not not face any type of retaliation and any type of resistance. Um, and so we're, we're seeing that uh, these negative policies, big government overreach is not helping us at all. It's actually harming us in every single way. Yeah, and that that's such an excellent point, Taylor Rhodes, um, the executive director for the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners Association in Colorado, that this all comes back to a comprehensive worldview. And the Democrats like to focus just on these top level issues of saying, well, you know, we're going to go after the guns because that's the problem. And they like to say that these new laws are intended to decrease, you know, suicide rating and youth violence, stop mass shootings, um, all of these things. But we're not seeing that actual effect. In fact, we're seeing the opposite of that because they're missing the biblical worldview element. They're missing the fact that you can't just uh, force compliance with a moral and upright society. You actually have to teach children the truth. You have to teach the respect for life in communities. You have to have the church that is functioning properly in society. You have to have fathers that are in the home. You have to have families that are valued and and incentives from the government to encourage families. Um, And this is why we historically have had marriages in society where there are tax breaks and other things to incentivize for families to stay together. And of course, that's been weaponized because now we've abdicated that from um, from the church to arbitrate marital disputes and given that over to the state. And it's all totally backward. So we have to think, we have to get back to the biblical worldview and making sure we are always teaching truth in society. And that's politics. We'll be right back more, with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. This is Frank Gaffney, host of Securing America, a program dedicated to protecting the country we love against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to the glory of God and his kingdom. Each weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, we provide insights and recommendations about the most important challenges facing our nation from her most thoughtful experts and patriots. Join me to learn how you can help in Securing America right here at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. So, Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. 
Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Tucker Carlson was surprisingly ousted from Fox News the Monday after he gave a rousing speech for the Heritage Foundation, during which he argued the outdated binary political lens is woefully inadequate to confront the issues of our day. He stressed that abortion zealotry and the transgenderism movement are theological phenomena. Political rhetoric is insufficient to confront and defeat objective evil. Reports are swirling now that Carlson's spiritual talk made Rupert Murdoch, Fox Corporation CEO, uncomfortable. Is that why they fired their most popular host? Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith. Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The Internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family. And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially, and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may He give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. So as we're continuing to discuss why uh, things on the state level matter and why the laboratories of democracy as uh, is is a great, I think, description of what goes on in each of the states because we've seen how different states operate under either Democrat versus Republican control when you're talking about the contrast between a state like Colorado and all of these uh, red flag laws and gun restrictions and California with their ridiculous waiting periods and so forth uh, versus some of the red states where, guess what, you can actually exercise your constitutionally protected freedoms. That's a great thing in this country, and that's how it should be. Well, uh, Mississippi has been one of just six states that uh, only permits childhood vaccines for medical reasons with no religious exemptions. And religious exemptions to vaccine mandates, of course, became uh, much more prominent in the wake of the COVID pandemic. And um, I was I actually represented uh, a number of people uh, in Colorado and actually throughout the country um, as, as an attorney to help uh, them get a, a medical um, and religious exemption from the uh, COVID vaccine and that kind of compulsory requirement that ultimately was struck down at the Supreme Court in terms of OSHA. Now we're still uh, kind of seeing some of the aftermath of all of that ridiculous nonsense on the federal level. Um, and so when we're talking about um, vaccines, there is now a, uh, a, a Mississippi 
uh, judge has now ruled that Mississippi must grant religious exemptions for childhood vaccines. And this is actually from a federal judge. So to talk more about this is uh, Mississippi State Senator Chris McDaniel. So um, good morning, Senator. And, um, you know, I, I think this is a great thing for Mississippi. And of course, the uh, Mississippi Free Press is, is terming people act anti-vaccine activists, uh, which which is, of course, you know, we're just anti everything if we actually are for freedom. Um, but where where is this now situated in terms of how uh, the law in Mississippi may change? Well, obviously, the, the court's decision is a great victory for religious liberty, and that's a big deal for people across our state, and hopefully it resonates to other states. And the, the, the only unfortunate part about it is that the Mississippi legislature could have corrected this a long time ago. We could have protected religious liberty. We could have secured the rights of moms and dads and kids to make these calls on their own outside of state interference. But Delbert Hoseman, our lieutenant governor, stood in the way of that. He fought us on that every chance he had. So it's good to see a federal judge make this ruling. It's disappointing that we didn't take care of business when we had the chance to fix it. So. Um, how will it change the law? Well, obviously, Mississippi has to recognize religious liberty. We have to recognize the exemption for vaccination purposes, and that's going to make sure that our families, uh, like you said earlier, do exercise their fundamentally protected constitutional rights of this state. Yeah, and so, uh, so the judge's order says that starting on July 15th, the Mississippi State Department of Health, quote, will be enjoined from enforcing Mississippi's compulsory vaccination law unless they provide an option for individuals to request a religious exemption from the vaccine requirement. So the state still could appeal the ruling. Um, but that was going to be my next question, uh, Senator, that the it seems like this would have been a very simple legislative solution. And so um, with the composition of, um, of of the Mississippi legislature, as well as the governor, um, what is the dynamic there that the lieutenant governor then would have so much power to kind of thwart this from being a more legislative solution? Absolutely. We, we outnumber the Democrats, the Republicans do, in the Senate by a number of 36 to 16. Now, under that scenario, we should be able to pass whatever we think we wish. Uh, but Delbert Hoseman, who claims to be a Republican, has moved our body to the left pretty, uh, pretty amazingly and sadly at that, particularly on issues of religious liberty. We had a chance a couple of years ago on an amendment on the floor to fix this issue. And he had one of his Democrat colleagues uh, point out a, what's called a, uh, a point of order, and he ruled on the Democrat side to not allow the amendment to go through, uh, thus frustrating our efforts at reform. So as long as he's there, as long as he is controlling the Republican uh, majority in the Senate, then passing good, strong, pro-family uh, religious liberty bills is going to be almost impossible. So it shouldn't be that way, but it is under the current configuration. Wow. So I'm speaking with uh, Mississippi State Senator Chris McDaniel. And um, does this type of a perspective on protections for religious liberty extend into other areas that you have seen from this current composition and from uh, the lieutenant governor kind of managing the Republican majority? I have. Say, for example, there was a bill floating around this year that would have allowed uh, a children to leave the school for an hour each week for religious instruction. Other states have adopted this type of um, framework, and we thought it was a great idea, but he stood in the way of that as well. So, so bear in mind, and this is important, just because someone has the Republican label on their name doesn't mean they govern 
as conservatives. And we've seen that in Washington, and we've seen it in Jackson, Mississippi. And, and Delbert Hoseman has been there for years, but he's moved our body way to the left. And so even in these deep red states where we should be passing serious and significant conservative reform, one man in the right position can stop that reform, and that's what he's done. So is it, is it frustrating? Incredibly. Can we change it? Yes, just with one election. If he's able to be defeated, then the body, I'm sure, can move back to the right in its natural composure. Yeah, I love that you highlight that Republican as a label doesn't always mean conservative. It doesn't always mean constitutional. It doesn't mean to the right on the political spectrum. And one of the things that uh, that I think is, is really frustrating in terms of the conversation that we as conservatives often have is that we can't ever criticize anyone who carries that Republican label. Otherwise, it's termed infighting or we have to say, well, you know, everything that an R does good and everything that it D does bad. And that kind of bifurcation that's just totally black and white without parsing what the actual conduct is, um, I, I think is actually a misnomer because there are a lot of people, unfortunately, and you mentioned, you know, D.C., where um, you know, I've had a lot of experience over the last uh, few years, unfortunately, actually seeing that there are so many Republicans in name only. So um, how can people who are listening really understand um, for themselves, what the actual conduct is of each individual legislator, so that when it gets to a an election, they can be voting with not only more integrity but also with more information and education. Because I often hear from you know friends and family who a few days before the election will call up and say, "Well, you know, I don't really know this person, or I'm not sure," and so they just vote Republican down ticket. And they've missed the opportunity, I think, in the primary to really know the landscape and know what's going on. You're right. There's a tremendous amount of confusion, but you you hit the nail on the head. We have so many Republicans now, especially in red states, because what happens, the Democrats realize they can't get elected as Democrats. So they just switch parties, but they keep governing like Democrats. Now, the American Conservative Union issues scorecards, to give you an example, and Right now, this is going to blow your mind because everyone sees Mississippi as this very red conservative state. But when the ACU ranked our legislature, get this, Michigan, Michigan has a more conservative legislature than Mississippi. In fact, Mississippi, despite it being right there in this red area of the country, we have the second most liberal legislature in the entire southeastern United States. That's not me. That's the American Conservative Union objectively ranking uh, votes cast by the legislature. One man has caused that in large part, and, that, and that's Delbert Hoseman. He's moved our body so far to the left, it's damaged our ranking with the ACU. So you're right. You've got to look past the R versus D dynamic because there are so many Republicans out there that simply do not and will not govern as conservatives. And until we fix that, clean up our own house, so to speak, the Democrats are going to have victory after victory as we keep conceding and compromising away our principles. Yes, so well said. And I'm speaking with Mississippi State Senator Chris McDaniel. And um, and so how would you encourage then um, people to get involved and voters who, who I, and I know our AFR family really cares about these issues because we want to see good legislation passed we, it, across the country, but especially those listening in Mississippi. We want to see uh, religious liberty protections across the state, obviously across the country. And um, and so whether it's someone in, in Mississippi or it's someone um, elsewhere, it, it seems like there is such little emphasis on the primary. And then, you know, for example, you get to then uh, the general election and people 
people wonder, well, how does Lindsey Graham keep getting elected, you know, all of these times? It's like, because nobody primaried him. Or if they did, he had so much money that, you know, and, and everybody, and then you only have like a 20% turnout in primaries. And then people wonder why there's no change. So how can people genuinely get involved in a primary when there maybe it's, you know, 20 to one, the incumbent is going to outspend the challenger? Yeah, it's difficult. Thank goodness we do have some mechanisms for that. Take, for example, social media. Uh, Look at Facebook. Facebook can be an enemy, but it can also be a friend, depending on how conservatives utilize it to further our message, because it gets us around traditional media outlets. And so I have a page there, Senator Chris McDaniel. You can look for it, Senator Chris McDaniel on Facebook. And we'll provide a lot of information there for people to get around the issue. But consider this as well. We are, as challengers, outspent. Conservatives are always outspent because the establishment hates principled leaders. They want you to sit there, get in line, and keep your mouth shut and just follow the leader. That's not who we have to be. So when people are paying attention, look for people other than incumbents to vote for. Study the records. Listen to what they're saying. But more importantly, when you get involved, seriously get involved because your vote still matters. Don't let people fool you and tell you otherwise. Talk to your Sunday school classes, your friends, your neighbors. They will listen to you if you'll extend your sphere of influence and just help elect solid conservative fighters. That's what this country needs right now. Yeah, and I, I think that's great advice to say don't just always look at the incumbent. Um, you know, my personal view of uh, what happened in this last midterm election when you had so many across the country really solid America first uh, candidates, you know, people who are principled conservatives who hadn't ever run for elected office before and said, you know, whether you know, I'm a pastor, I'm a, you know, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm just, I'm a concerned citizen and I'm going to jump in, a ra- in this race because I have seen over the course of the last few years how America is going so downhill and I really want to be a good citizen and take responsibility for my government by participating and you're right that the establishment you know the, these the, the whether it's the national RNC it's the GOP on the state level I mean some of these things like um, your sister state in Tennessee I was so disappointed to see how the the GOP party actually removed my good friend Robbie Starbuck from Tennessee District 5 running for Congress because they said well you haven't been registered as a Republican long enough, basically saying, you know, you're not Republican enough and we are going to actively um, discipline you and 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 punish you that you're only just now wanting to participate in civic engagement. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, to me is so infuriating and how the how the even the GOP is trying to still continue to control the election outcomes. And so I know that um, Senator Chris McDaniel, the, the next question that, that everyone who's listening to this is going to ask me, well, what about election integrity then? Because yes, our vote matters, but um, what, what about you know all of the ways that we're seeing some of this manipulation, um, even just through this outrageous spending from mm-hmm. uh, you know, the establishment party against really good candidates and uh, you know some of these other election integrity measures? I mean, are these things that you have seen uh, there in Mississippi some of these types of conversations just around election integrity issues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to recognize that there's so much more we should be doing to secure election integrity. But if we quit and if we don't vote, 
then it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if good people step away from the system because they're fearful their vote won't matter, then naturally their vote will never matter again. We have to re-engage the system at every single level, and we have to be proactive. In other words, for far too long we've been defensive. We just defend our positions, then we retreat. We defend and we retreat. No more retreat for conservatives. We're here to fight. We love this country. We love our families. We love our communities. And we're seeing this whole thing fall apart, fall into pieces. We have to get proactive. If that means knocking on doors, we'll knock on doors. If that means going, uh, making a thousand phone calls, we'll make a thousand phone calls. But we have to engage the system at every level. And we can't be fearful that there could be some election integrity issue that keeps us out. We can't let them scare us out of a system. Just the opposite. They have to scare us into being proactive to change the system. Yes, and that is absolutely the number one uh, thing that we have to be shouting from the rooftops is that even if there are things that we need to change in election integrity, we can't sit back and say, well, I refuse to participate with my vote until I am confident that everything is perfect or it's up to a standard that I prefer, because otherwise we are just giving away the election outcomes and we are choosing not to participate and not to engage. And I love the way you said that, um, State Senator Chris McDaniel, that we have to engage and we have to continue. No more retreating. We have to stand up and take back our country for the principles of liberty and freedom. So um, just in about the last minute that I have with you, sir, um, how can people find you again on Facebook? Are you on Twitter as well um, or on your page so that people in Mississippi can get engaged in those issues and see what's going on? Absolutely. It's just Senator Chris McDaniel. Just search it right there. Senator Chris McDaniel on Facebook or Twitter. My page will come up. I have a blue check mark. And also, if you want to look on the webpage online, it's just SenatorMcDaniel.com. SenatorMcDaniel.com. So come join us. And uh, I promise you this, we'll fight until the very end. And uh, I believe this country can be turned around. And I believe it happens with people just like you. So I appreciate it very much. Amen. Well, thank you so much for your work and your service to our great nation. Um, Continue to fight the good fight. And thank you so much for joining me. And I hope to have you back again anytime to uh, inform us on what's going on there in the state legislature. And everyone should be engaged and involved in your own state. The state level is where all of these things that go further start. And that's where you can best preserve and protect all of the rights that you care about. Country, freedom, liberty. we got to make sure to be engaged. I will join you tomorrow morning right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.